you for joining us. This is Paul. And Chris. And you're listening to Diesel Performance Podcast. Uh, Chris, we have a huge BOGO sale going on right now over at Duramax Tuner. You want to tell the listeners about it? Yeah, buy a Stealth Turbo. You get a free boost test kit for free. A free boost test kit for free, right? <laughs> you get a free boost test kit. Um I think one thing that diesel enthusiasts love just as much as diesel pickup parts is tools. Yeah. And there's no secret. I mean, the boost test kit is something that's a little unorthodox. It's not like your quarter-inch ratchet set or your half-inch ratchet set. Um, but it's a specialty tool that I think goes really hand-in-hand hand with making sure that you're keeping up with the wellness of the truck. Um, so I feel any turbo diesel owner or enthusiast should have a boost test kit, whether it's a stock truck or there's some upgraded modifications. Um and then we have uh, free, real cool tuned-it hats uh, we're giving away with every tuning purchase um, as long as we are shipping any products out. So if it's an email tuned file, not not available for the hat unless we're shipping something to you, then we'll throw the hat into the mix. Yeah. Yeah, the hats are cool. They're the new yeah. tuned-it hats. So they look really awesome. Uh, make sure you guys go ahead, give Chris a call or shoot him an email. Uh, get a hold of him. I'm, I know you'd be happy to help out any more of the listeners. Than, more than happy to. So see Emke at DuramaxTuner.com or call me at the shop, 815-568-7920. That's right. Uh, today, Chris, we have some really cool show set up. So we have Nick Pregnitz coming on. Guys, I know we heard him last week for the uh, drive-to-boost pressure ratio, uh, Diesel Insights. Definitely go and check that video out on YouTube. But today, we have him on to actually talk about uh, turbo R&D. So, research and development in a, in a very real way. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where, for myself being an enthusiast and, you know, before ever starting here, you would think like, oh, this turbo's on the market, that turbo's on the market, that product in general is on the market. But you don't really think about what efforts that company had to put in to get to that point that that product was available and for sale. And Paul, I mean, I, I think I speak on behalf of both of us here. Being here as as tenured employees as we are, we've learned what that what that blueprint looks like, right? Yeah. How long does an R and D process take? Um, and as you know, some of these vehicles get newer, that that timeline becomes more aggressive. Sure. Sure. And 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 I I, we've already talked to Nick, so we're recording this yeah. afterwards, and I think one of the things that I thought was really cool about the conversation is that we got a chance to ask some questions and poke into some things that even after all of our years here, yeah. I, I didn't know, like yeah. things that I, I actually thought were really interesting. So guys, uh, stick around. Right after a word from our sponsors, you're going to be hearing from Nick Pregnitz from Duramax Tuner talking about the Stealth Turbo R&D program. And then also, uh, at the end of the show, we're going to have our super tech and our remote support expert on the show together to talk about a really exciting topic as well. Upgrade the factory transmission oil cooler in your truck with the XDP Extra Cool Direct Fit Transmission Oil Cooler. The XDP Extra Cool Direct Fit Transmission Oil Coolers provide you with an upgraded bolt-on design. Each transmission cooler is built with a high-efficiency core to maximize cooling. Designed as a direct fit replacement, this transmission cooler comes ready to install with all the brackets, hardware, and accessories needed for installation. To find out more about the XDP Extra Cool Direct Fit Transmission Oil Coolers, check out xdp.com or find a local dealer near you.
Worldly Custom Fabrication is known for their world-class powder coating, S300, S400, traction bars, and all sorts of other just really, really cool parts for your Duramax, Cummins, and I think even a few Power Stroke parts here and there. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the 2020 GMC 2500 and 3500 Fender Flare Billet Marker Light Delete Kit. Uh, so the, these brand new L5Ps have the marker lights and a lot of guys don't like them. Just flat out, just a lot of guys are not into that look. What they would prefer to have is a color matched billet piece right there to delete that light kit and have it just look a little bit cleaner on the truck a little bit less flashy. So it's kind of a really cool understated exterior piece. Um, and I think it's one of those that it's pretty easy to scan over, but once you see it, you're like, oh, I get it and I love it. Uh, so these will help you clean up the look of your 2020 GMC Sierra or Denali HD truck by replacing the amber fender flare marker lights with these CAD designed CNC machined billet aluminum marker light delete plates from WC Fab available with machine WC Fab logo or without in raw aluminum or of course but what you're all going to choose paint matching of fine texture or fine texture black powder coat to blend into the OEM black plastic fender flare trim. Installs very, very easily. It's a couple of simple hand tools, comes with everything that you guys are gonna need to install it. Uh, if you are thinking about it, or if you have one and you'd like to clean up the look a little bit, no problem at all. Jump over to wcfab.com and you'll be able to find that part right away. The other sponsor I wanted to talk about today is Exergy Performance. With their background in OE development and manufacturing, Exergy Performance brings a unique perspective to the high performance world. They know what features and specifications need to be to ensure proper function. They know how to produce them and they know how to verify that they're correct. The verification process and the equipment that they use is very untypical of a standard diesel repair shop. It, it actually allows them to look at many more system performance characteristics beyond just the average fuel output, which is how most shops will just test it. Uh, what they test is actually from idle to full power using factory calibration points and a few points of their own uh, that they've added for the high performance market. They can fully map a set of injectors uh, and have done so for, I don't know, a, a countless number of, of people out there. Uh, the guys who are running at the very top of the industry are running Exergy. The guys who are running their normal street truck are running Exergy. Every one of our employees who has a modified set of injectors is running Exergy. There's a reason that we use them time and time again. If you guys are looking for more, uh, you can check out Exergy's website, uh, but you're probably best off giving a call over to DuramaxTuner.com, um, giving a call over to WC Fab, giving a call over to uh, any of their distributors who are out there. Also, if you need technical assistance and you've bought from a distributor, uh, I believe you could still reach out to Exergy if you need to. Nick Pregnitz, how the hell are you? Great. Glad to be here. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Now, listeners, you guys may have heard Nick on last week's show. Uh, we ran the audio clip from drive pressure to boost pressure ratios. Okay. Uh, that was a fun video. I, I actually, I know we've, we took quite a bit of time to make sure that that one got all the way through the finish line. Yeah. I noticed you said video, not videos. When in reality, <laughs> we did shoot two full versions of that video, which is un, unusual for us. It, it really is. But, but it, it's also 
one of those opportunities where I think we got to really nail it down and be really happy with that finished product. So listeners, if you guys haven't checked it out, uh, go watch the video. There's some really cool visual cues that you may have not picked up in the podcast. Yeah, I've been a lot of positive feedback on YouTube. I mean, absolutely, we got a lot more concise on the second shoot, and uh, I was I was pretty happy with the end result. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, we got Nick in the, in the studio today to talk about turbos. Uh, so Our favorite topic. <laughs> listeners, you guys just heard, uh, like we said last week, a little bit about drive and boost pressure relationships and i know we talk uh, that largely revolves around a turbocharger yeah. discussion of course um but one of the things that i think is kind of a mystery to most of the people out there is how the r d process actually works uh if you were to just scan the internet and read through some forums i mean pretty much pull a cover off slap a wheel in it call it a day turbo r d yeah. done r d done right i just yeah. bought a brand new truck why is there nothing on the market right <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Now, Nick, you've been on the show many times. We've asked you before how you got your start in diesel performance. I thought maybe for our new listeners, you could kick us off today and tell us about just a a little bit about your background in diesel. My background in diesel. Uh, I started Duramax Tuner in 2007 in my house, garage. Uh, Moved to Illinois in 2009 started putting the shop together in 10 11 and uh, really have just been growing the tuning shop the, the business uh, of course started as duramax tuner primarily tuning duramax trucks and just continued adding tuning platforms and then in uh, around 13 14 started added adding turbochargers to the mix uh, basically just vertically integrating uh, manufacturing stuff and uh, you know over the years we've added more and more turbochargers and more and more platforms of tuning and you know the business is what 25 people now and 40,000 square feet manufacturing is half the business and tuning is the other half and you guys are here too <laughs> yes you've been with me for the ride paul and chris yeah. absolutely yeah so i started back in 13 chris you were 14. in 14 yeah. um yeah i was i was there when it was just a, a i mentioned it to a customer yesterday who was here with his 2020 and talking about how large the building is and i was like man when i started there was one rack yeah, <laughs> one rack, five thousand square feet, and that was like, oh, look at all the space we got. Yeah. <laughs> I we should cut some cut some holes in the walls. Yeah, I went yeah. with buddies to Nick's house in Crystal Lake when he was working out of his garage, and then went with buddies to Union, and yep. then started with you know in Marengo when we first got into Marengo. So it's pretty crazy. You know, we come to the shop right, and I remember when we first looked at the shop we're in now, it's like, wow, there's so much space, and now a couple years later, it's like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is a good thing you know that's it's it. a good thing yeah that's it and, and and we've seen the the turbocharger development over time so chris and i obviously we work here we, we've seen it start where it was just like the lb764 yep. the stealth right the, that was the, the only charger <laughs> yeah i remember talking to nick about getting into the vvt stuff you know a 64 I mean, yeah that was that was in 14 well and and that's what it comes down to, right? Because we've we've watched this brand of the stealth turbos develop over time, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit from your side about what that's what that started as and kind of where that's grown to. Yeah, I mean, it started on the on the LB7, right? I mean, Chris was just saying the LB7 was the first one that we did, uh, the first one that we had success with, and really it was buying from a third party vendor a turbo that was basically built to spec, right? So an LB7 turbocharger with a 64 millimeter compressor wheel and oh my god this thing really does drive nice i mean like we, we got a lot of you know, a lot of extra performance out of it and uh you know an extra 70 horsepower or so so started 
stocking and inventorying those turbochargers. And, uh, you know, as we started to realize, like, you know, maybe the durability isn't as great as it should be on these turbochargers. Like, when they work, they work, but occasionally we have failures and we really don't have a good way of fixing the failures or, or, or improving durability. Our or, name's on it. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know. I mean, this is a turbo that's carrying the brand name now, and it's a flagship product, and we're selling you know a good amount of them. And it just became a very frustrating thing. So, you know, the, the first turbo that really went through the R&D process was that LB7 Stealth 64 turbocharger. And it, as a matter of necessity, yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like we we are not okay with the failure rate on this turbocharger. We have to do something about it and and jump into it and find out what's going on, right? So it was it was a matter of necessity. Um, the next one after that, I, you know, the Stealth sixty four for the VVT was it was big eyes, right? Like okay, the the product is very strong on the LB seven side. We can grow this product. Uh, we can of course sell more uh, turbochargers and. And, and uh, the, you know, the 64 for the VVT would really represent the brand well. It would be in that uh, 600 rear wheel horsepower, great drivability, great uh, windshield experience, towing performance, everything that we tout as a brand, you know, great drivability, great power, right? Smoke control, all that stuff. So, you know, this, the Stealth 64 VVT was the next one that we jumped into, and, you know, that... <laughs> it seems so long ago, doesn't it? It, <laughs> like, yeah. it was It was a long time ago. Yeah. Like, those, those it first really turbos was. were puppy love, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> now, now I do, I do remember watching also, as the, the brand grew, we started to do the 64s, and, and really, when I was... When I was there working with customers and helping them get into a new turbocharger, the 64 really was was kind of revolutionary about being completely drop-in, completely stock-appearing, upgraded replacement turbocharger that you didn't need a custom tune for, you didn't need any custom parts for. You literally pulled the old one out, put the new one in, and it drove great. You got everything you wanted. And then some people, Chris Emke, started talking about a larger turbo. Um, and if I remember rightly, uh, towards the Cummins, isn't that where the 67, where we first started talking about it, or was it the LB7? You know, I don't know which 67 yeah. we did first. I think it was the VVT. Really? Yeah, I think the VVT 67 was the first foray into the 67. And, you know, we're a performance culture. Yeah. Like, yes, we have a strong brand in the 600, you know, low 600 horsepower market, but the guys who work here want... 800 horsepower cars. <laughs> and so, you know, after after months or years of being told that we need to build a 67, you know, eventually a guy has to give in. Yeah. And uh, and go down the 67 path and and that, you know, that turbocharger was more of like a it, it fulfilled a different need from personally and a different need in the business. Yeah. Um but I I thought it was interesting that you brought up the 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 points of you know you're flashing back to your salesman days where you're uh, explaining all the key features and benefits of the turbo right and i don't think we knew that stuff when we made the turbochargers like we didn't know we didn't have a checklist when we built the stealth 64 you know when we when we first specified the stealth 64s that we stocked back in 12 or 13 or whenever it was um, you know we didn't say we want a bolt and drop in turbocharger that's going to reduce smoke and lower egts and do all these things we just Tried the turbo, it worked. We knew we liked it. We knew our customers liked it, so we started stocking it. Do you remember we had some larger turbos from other manufacturers that we had tested several times? And when I started in thirteen, I was pretty much told like single turbos are just going to drive like shit. Like, listen, just I'm sorry, well, it just the technology is what it is. Wasn't there, you know? Yeah, and, yep. and and the platforms weren't there. I mean, we we had we weren't tuning LMLs then, right? right. So it was like it's just 
yeah, they're going to make power, but they're going to be real doggy. They're never going to take off. If we had tried some other stuff that was like a 72 drop-in or something like that, that was just Oh, yeah. Surgy. S300 center sections and stock housings. All sorts of S400s and, and different things. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. there there was a couple years where, like, and those turbos made power. Like, we, oh, yeah. we had them. They worked great. And in the era of 2014, 2015, they were awesome. Well, and, and, and I also remember the Cummins Turbo Shootout. Uh, where we took six of the most popular quote unquote drop in turbos, yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm using air quotes on a podcast because many of them were not, right. in fact, right. what we would now consider drop in. Um, but yeah, we we tested six of them like side by side. Really fun test to read through. <laughs> that was a if you if you exist in this place as an enthusiast, you owe it to yourself to read that article because. That is the most time and energy and money I put into anything that didn't make me a cent. <laughs> well, I, we didn't sell any turbos. That we sold no, twin we, turbo kits for I, Duramax. I feel, only at the time. I feel that, that that's, that's an incorrect sold. statement, though, because <laughs> even to this day, guys do still use that as a buyer's guide for turbos. Yeah, and it's it's leverage where you know that was kind of like the introduction of. I mean, we didn't have a five nine turbo. That wasn't even a thought process back no, then. No, we didn't have anything. Um, so. And then when we started getting into the R and D. With the five nine, like we worked and used that data collected, yes. you know. So, yes. you know, it, it, it has benefited. It's, it has benefited. I, I shouldn't say it didn't make me a cent. <laughs> it was a lot of learning came out yep. of that article. A lot of learning for everybody on staff, really. I mean, yeah. you know, we spent weeks on the dyno and tanks of fuel on the dyno, uh, testing spool up and standardizing parts. And I mean, it was yeah, we learned a lot. We did, and 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 I think that was also one of those that. As I look back into some of the other turbos that that we started building and where that Stell 64 came from, I kind of think back to that article and going through that and and reading aftermarket turbochargers that cost more than stock, that make less than stock, that spool up slower than stock, and like a few of the guys who like made big power but had no other practical purpose of their turbo. Home run. There are people looking for that. Right. 100%. There were people searching for that exactly yes. there. Yes. Um, but, yeah, this, the Stealth has always had this idea that it, it, you could drop it in and drive it. And, and that's that's really what, what like, the core feature was. Um, as it's changed over time, we've started to get into newer and newer turbos. Can you talk a little bit about what the difference is of maybe working on, like, the third gen Cummins or the LB7 compared to getting into like the LMLs and the uh, especially now with the L5P and the the new 351 and 300 VGs. Yeah, yeah. I would say early on in the game, we didn't have as much manufacturing experience. We didn't have as much supplier relations experience. Uh, we didn't maybe know all the key boxes that we wanted to check while building the turbocharger. And now as we go through, I shouldn't say go through, as now, now as we go into an R&D project, I would say we have our map a lot clearer. So we know, you know, if the turbo can't do these five things, it's not something we're going to sell to our customers. If we can't reliably get parts for this turbocharger quickly, we're not going to build it. If we can't test it on multiple different trucks locally, we're not going to build it, right? So there's a, uh, you know, <laughs> The roadmap is set, and, and you know, as we went into the 351 market, it's like, okay, you know, we've we had the benefit of basically tuning and dynoing, you know, 60% or 70% of the turbochargers on the market. I had that frustration in me from trying to tune those turbochargers, and I'm I'm not going to throw stones on the podcast here. I'm just going to say like it, it 
the state of that market is is yeah it could there's there's give and take it could frustrate a a tuner it could frustrate a tuner right so there's opportunity (laughs) there so I, i as i went into it i said okay we need to build a turbocharger that does not that isn't going to frustrate tuners because tuners are the ones who are basically coaching the customers. So that's that's it, right, on the first one. It needs to be durable. It needs to make power, which most of the turbos that we tested on the dyno weren't making extra power. No matter how hard we pushed them, they weren't making extra power. I mean, maybe 10 or 15 horsepower, but, you know, who's going to buy a turbocharger that doesn't make more power regardless of what the specs say? It just yeah. doesn't make sense. So, you know, I saw a lot of opportunity in that market, and I just that that was part of the motivation going into it. Well, that's an interesting point because I guess for all the years I've been here to watch the Stealth Turbo program, I've never been on the side of R and D where I actually get to hear how we pick what's the next turbo to work on. So I like <laughs> I I have heard some of the problems that have caused some of your roadmap. So like, <laughs> can we get parts for it? Like that that is something we learned over time. That yeah, was not yeah. like oh no, I have foresight. Don't go down this trap. It's like, well, this is a great idea and a great project. Let's yeah. l- let's go for it. Absolutely, Paul. I mean, you know the size of our business. You know, we're we're a bigger fish in this pond, but in the in the pond of OEMs, we're we're nobody. Right. You know, so if if we can't get parts for it, there's only so much we can machine in house. There's only so much we can develop in house and engineer. You know, we we need some outside help. So if if that outside help, if those outside channels don't exist, that makes our job that much harder what about what about projects that you've gotten into that you've scrapped like is there a point in r&d where you're just buried and it's not worth it i i'll tell you about a project that i i have big this is an example of like enthusiast projects gone wrong right Uh, when an enthusiast owns a business so (laughs) the he351ve the first round was probably three or four years ago and it involved find, looking through a core pile and seeing that, okay, the 7.8 liter Duramax uses a turbocharger that's remarkably similar to the HE351VE in orientation, meaning it's a T3 or T4 flange. I don't remember now. T4I. T4, yeah. whatever. And uh, so <laughs> the 7.8 liter wasn't the T4I. No, the, the, the Cummins eight, was. The Cummins yep. is, yes. But, but it wasn't, it, it was basically a VVT Garrett that would work in a T3 or T4 orientation. And I remember thinking, oh man, all the frustration these guys are having with the HE351VE, we can just apply what we know in the VVT space and build a Garrett VVT that'll bolt in place of this whole set. And so I pushed my team to develop parts to do that. And, you know, 30% of the way into the project, realized okay i have a pallet of turbochargers i have a bunch of drawings i have all this stock in and we're starting to cut parts and my god what how am i ever going to make money on this thing that we have to make four custom pieces for and and (laughs) source these weird cores and build a, a translation controller that changes the signal from the whole set to the vvt and it's like Yes, this is an amazing idea, <laughs> but it's not practical to manufacture and make this turbocharger. There's just yeah. So I had to walk away. I mean, I walked away from it. That that's a tough one too because there are there is that problem of like this is a great idea compared to this is worth pursuing. Well, I think also like you know as these vehicles are becoming newer, and I think this piggies piggybacks on what you said about the 
your idea with the Cummins charger, the turbos are becoming more complex. There's more moving components. Yeah. So you have to consider, you know, okay, on on July 1st, I'm going to start investing time in the R&D on developing this turbo. What What's that timeline? Like, what, what does that look like when you have all these moving parts? you got to have some type of end goal here where, okay, if I start on June 1st, it's ready to go to market end of that year, the beginning of that following year, like what, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I would say we're, I'm pretty proud of our R&D process right now. I mean, I'm not gonna say it's it's a benchmark for any large <laughs> OEM out there, but for the for the size business we are, I think we're able to turn projects around pretty pretty quickly. Leaps and bounds from where it was a few years yeah, ago, I mean, right? especially in the turbocharger program. So, I mean, and, and I would say if we start a project and we're selling turbos 18 months from then, from the start, we're probably doing pretty good. Yeah. And that's, you know, just by the time you do durability testing and you uninstall and reinstall five or six different versions of the turbo on a truck and dyno all versions and tune all versions and it just takes time. You don't realize that like, oh, there's a turbo, we're going to pull it off, put another one on, and then we're going to set a day for the dyno. That's a week process. Right. Like from start to finish, data collection, <laughs> revisiting, stopping what you're doing that day, revisiting it the next day with a clear mind. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of things like, you know, kind of going to like the 6.7 Cummins charger, the 351 VE 300 VG. That was a turbo that, I mean, how many revisions were, were on the test truck? I know we've had at least four or five turbos yeah. on your truck. Um, you know, you got to put miles on it. Mm-hmm. We got to dyno each one. We got to see, you know, what the throttle response is, what the tuning's like, how do the bearings hold up. That means putting miles in the turbocharger, yeah. right? I mean, that's all that stuff takes much more time than you think it should, especially when you're uh, parallel developing multiple turbochargers right. and ev- everybody's, you know, pulling for your time. Well, I love, I love too that that's on like the testing end, but like what. What on the development side? Because you sit down, so you sit down and you say, okay, here's our checklist. We, you know, we have an idea of a bunch of different trucks we could try to build turbos for. Yeah. Went through our checklist. We picked one. This is what we're working on now. Do you start to go through like customer feedback? Do you get the truck out on the road and start to collect data to figure out like where the problems are? Do you just immediately come in and tear it down and and start to inspect it and be like, oh well, this sucks, or you know, <laughs> I could do that better. I think we had our checklist, which was make more power, maintain factory spool up, tune easily, be durable, and I don't have the checklist in front of me, right? But yeah. but basically that stuff. So as we're as we're putting our first test unit together, it's okay. What parts do we have from our suppliers? What you know? What what's our best guess? Put the best guess on the truck. Does it spool like stock? Does it make more power? Is it durable? Uh, does it install like a factory turbocharger? Right. Basically, the first turbocharger made exactly the same fucking power that the stock turbocharger <laughs> made. Uh, was a pain in the ass to tune. Had upside down boost, to, you know, drive boost ratios. Um, I mean, and it was it's just a flop. And uh, <laughs> that that is when you, when you're in my position, you're just like. Oh, God, <laughs> what am I doing? Like, what, how did I, what made me think that I could do this, right? And then, and then you go back and you look through and you cut away and you talk to, and that's the benefit of having a great team. And, and really, you know, the, the guys in the turbo department are awesome at listening. We have a, we have a really good ability to dialogue and brainstorm and, and talk. And it's not a, you know, you watch my videos and you think, okay, yeah, Nick knows all this stuff and he just tells everybody what to do. And it's not like that. It's, okay, guys, we have this problem. This turbocharger does not make power. What are we missing here? 
what what is the closest thing that we know that makes power and what is different what can we try like let's let's systematically isolate what variables that that are on this turbo that are either costing us power or or going to make power next so there we go let's test out a different turbine let's test out a different cut let's test out a different nozzle ring and shroud plate let's test all these things right and all these things take time and money to test and energy and i think that's where a lot of my competitors in this space got hung up or frustrated or figured nobody's going to care if i don't do this yeah <laughs> you know that's that's life that's I mean, it too right a lot is, of a lot of this space right you know uh, a lot of competitors a lot of manufacturers they'll they'll sell or advertise oh 64 right so as a general consumer well this place has a 64 that place has a 64 these three other guys have 64s it's all the same thing right but that that's not that in no way shape or form is that the case in no way shape or you know form and what i case. like to tell guys all the time is you can compare all the different 64s the the way that that turbocharger's drivability is managed is generally based on the hot side of the charger, you know, the exhaust side. And when we're talking about research and development and the R&D and all that whole process, it wasn't the compressor side that we were having the problem with. It was all exhaust side. Exactly. And that's where the 67s come in, even the 64, like any of the chargers that we've done, that's what separates the turbos that are on the market, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can get you can get the job 50% done by picking a compressor wheel. Yeah, I mean, everybody 100%. knows that, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, unfortunately, that's still the way this market is is presented to the customer is on the inducer of the compressor wheel, which is basically the most simplistic way of describing anything. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the piece I can see if I take off my yeah. intake. I don't know what else you I'm would gonna want to I'm going to put my measure. finger on it and spin it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've talked about this in sled pulling for years that that some of the things that that people attribute to be the most important turn out to be maybe the least important. Um, But that R&D process is what digs that out, right? It's taking those swings and seeing it not work. It's it's building a turbo and and watching it fail, you you know, or or seeing it not make the power and being frustrated and having your shop guys super excited when you tell them, like, hey, you're going to need to swap that again. Yeah, I, I, if you guys were in video, I'd have you cut to a picture of the mechanic, just frowny face, right? I mean, it's, yeah. Good news, bad news. Right. Good news is you still have a job. Bad news is it's swapping this turbocharger on this truck There's a for couple, the sixth time. There is a couple of trucks, mine included, where the shop guys just don't even want to look at it. There's a couple of the L5Ps that have been floating around, my truck included, where they're just like, don't fucking put that in front of me. <laughs> Over it. Yes. I love that because, well, and and – and that that is the struggle of R and D, right? Because it's not it, it's not like you said, walk in and know everything. It, it's you don't walk up to the plate and go, oh well, I've I've made Cummins turbos and I've made VVT turbos. So what could be so complicated about making a Cummins VVT turbo? <laughs> right. But, yeah, turns right. out everything. It turns um, out everything. And and I feel like that's every turbo project we get into that no matter how much i hear in the beginning when like you and the other r&d and turbo guys are all like super excited about how easy this is going to be and then i i get to hear the updates about six months through about like well you know blah 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 grumble 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 (laughs) we we just learned this yeah yeah it's you know it's it's good around here and it's bad it's it's good because there's enthusiasm and there's excitement and there's everybody wants to be a part of it and when it's great it's like it's really great right but halfway through the project when you've literally made 10 horsepower over the stock turbocharger and you just like 
why? <laughs> uh, to get gut checked. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a major gut check, and that's that's a challenge, you know. And that's I, that's part of what keeps this business interesting for me is like every new every new platform. The turbos get more complicated. They get more well balanced to the trucks. It gets more difficult to improve on them yeah. compared to the, what the factory does. And the OEMs are, I mean, they're really stepping up their game, and j- just like they are in the engine output, right? So. I mean, the OEMs, they they continue to encroach into our space. <laughs> but that's it, because we're also watching that customer demand continue to rise. And it, yeah. it's wondering who's – you always assume that enthusiasts' demand for power will always outpace OEM's output, right? Yeah. Like, there's always somebody who, no matter what they got off the showroom floor, I want double more. It. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, more is, yeah. more is better. You know, when you get the guys that come from a 280-horse rear-wheel horsepower LB7 to a 400-rear-wheel horsepower L5P, and it's not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is, it is that first week, right? <laughs> Everybody that first week, it's got plenty of power. Yeah. It's got yeah. plenty of power. And then the first time somebody blows past them on the highway, they're that's, like, all right. That's uh, that ego check. <laughs> that is, yes. I'm yes. going to need to talk about that tune now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and, and I, I, I also think back to how much this sounds like when we've talked about tuning R&D and what is bad tuning and things like that about getting a little bit more power getting something that you could kind of just slap on a sticker and send out like a lot of people could do that i don't want to say it's easy because i'm not downplaying that but but a lot of people could do that um but to like really dig through it and and deal with those problems and and deal with having to grumble and bitch about it and and have your head up against a wall to come in a, a few days later and be like oh figured it out yeah it's, it's <laughs> checking all the boxes you know it, it really is it's that's where drivability i would say the drivability comes in on the tuning right so yeah. you have to drive the truck for a long period of time it has to check all those boxes torque converter clutch lock up and and shift well and defuel well and and have good throttle response and all those things right be able to back down egt's when it's supposed to um, you know the nice thing about the tuning r&d is that you can flash another tune on tomorrow <laughs> and try it <laughs> Turbo R and D, we got to order tooling, we got to order metal, we got to draw the parts, we got to install it on the truck. I mean, it's just the the life cycle of R and D is so much longer in the turbo side, and the, the, I would just say the stakes are higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way to look at it because yeah. I guess on the tuning side, usually what the holdup is for us is waiting for hardware support to be able to communicate with the ECM. And then once you're communicating with the ECM, it's like, well... Now it's on us. You we, know, it's on him. We got it from there. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're like, yeah. like, we got it from there. Like, you're still going to run into, like, I know... And I know now, too, with the addition of, like, Tim Mahoney, who who works on, on a lot of that, like, kind of um, scrubbing it out and things like that, um, it's usually fun to hear him or poke at him about, like, bro, what's up? Like, <laughs> Paul, don't get me fucking started. Where, where are we at with that horsepower, you know? That's his, probably his favorite question from me. But, um... But but yeah, it is it, it is fun to see that that R and D and that excitement come through, and I love that. Like obviously, guys, listeners, you know, we've been talking about the new products that just launched. We have Cummins VGT turbos, so we have the HE three fifty one VE and the HE three hundred VG, um, both available on the website along with the L five P Stealth sixty seven G two. Um, those products are up. The 2020 tuning is up. So you guys with the, the 2020 Ford. power yep. strokes, uh, we can tune those 6.7 liters now. Uh, but I also know from experience that that means that we have a whole lot of free time from the R&D team. So can you give our listeners a little heads up? Like, what's what's on the horizon? What, what are you guys working on right now? Yeah, so other stuff we're working on right now on the turbo side. 
uh, looking back at the previous generation Fords, so the um, the twin scroll Ford is one of the it's 11 to 14 11 to 14 yeah. Ford turbo so most commonly guys are updating them to 15 plus um, we think there's opportunity in the twin scroll that just you know maybe, and maybe this is the VVT HE351 <laughs> maybe it's not um, so I mean, I, we're excited we're doing a whole lot of turbine just basically gutting the entire turbine side of that thing and, and starting from scratch and then of course the compressors on those are, are fairly complex and also uh, looking to do a bearing upgrade on that turbocharger as well so it's a pretty significant overhaul coolest idea for a turbocharger from oem that never fucking worked can i just say it mm. it just it screams i mean you drive four six eight cadillac if you, you drive, drive one, one of those they're nasty i get it they when they're working so, yeah they're they so, are so aggressive responding. yeah do they you think impressive. failures on those are an oem design flaw or emissions equipment failure showing itself in turbo failure because they are they are they 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 don't have a great reputation, hence people are upgrading them pretty commonly. Yeah, I think a, I think a lot of that is overspeed. I think they're they're a very small turbocharger. The factory really kind of spec'd that thing to be responsive and to be able to make the power that it was designed for from the factory and not to be run at 450 horsepower. Plus the vulnerability, right? Where where the wheels sit and where the bearings sit, it's it's very favorable. There's there's more real estate on the compressor side. Yeah, I mean the the wheel does hang out twice as far yeah. as a normal compressor <laughs> wheel hangs out. Um, you know, I I think there's a there's a number of factors that uh, that complicate things, and our our hope here is to address all those, and uh, demonstrate that through some durability testing. I love that. I'm I'm super excited for that because that is one that when that turbo came out, I was like, ooh, this is how turbos are going to be built now. Like this yeah. this that was like a new wave everything. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I it, I was surprised. I was relieved and surprised in 15 when they came out with just. A total to abandonment, like well, a completely <laughs> Ford, Ford typical. It's interesting. We had a great idea, it didn't work, and now we're abandoning it. It's interesting though, because when you think of like the six fours, you know, compound turbo from the factory, love it. Then they come with the, you know, the the dual compressors design in the in the early six sevens, and then now, like we look at, we look at a newer L5P Duramax or even the LML, like. Those those turbochargers are much smaller. As the Duramax line continues, the turbos get smaller, but they're more responsive and they're capable of making the same, if not more, power. But yeah. in a broader RPM window, right? They're able to come in earlier, so it's unique to see, like, on an LOI, right? Big, big turbo, big exhaust housing, big compressor wheel. At the time, they were okay, and then as you know, the RPOs come out and they are, you know, newer yeah, to the market. Tighter and tighter and Everything's tighter. getting smaller and not just the wheel profile, but exhaust housing, that tightness, the vein cage and nozzle assembly, the way everything works. Everything is in everything is in unison with one another, right? It's sized appropriately. Yeah. And it performs the way it does. So Yeah. That is an interesting note on him. Well, uh, Nick, I definitely appreciate you carving out so much time to talk with our listeners. Guys, we know you've been asking for it, so uh, I know you guys are going to be excited for this one. Nick, if there's a piece of advice you could give out there to a new listener who's interested in upgrading their truck, what do you think that advice would be? I would say if you can drive something with similar mods, do that. Um, if you can boost test your truck and stay up to date on maintenance, moving baby steps, that those would be my 
those would be my all little nuggets of advice. <laughs> That's yes. a good place to start for the new guys. Yes. Uh, listeners, stick around. we got a really exciting uh, segment coming up with our super tech and our customer service expert. Thank you so much. Jeremy Garnett, how the hell are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, Jeremy, of course, our super tech uh, here to talk a little bit more about a truck that you've worked on in the shop recently. So hit me with it, Jeremy. What's the truck we're talking about today? Uh, 2012 LML Dually uh, that we recently talked about, which had the secret uh, missions deleted, uh, where they oh, yeah, could, yeah, yeah, they yeah. cut open the DPF and the, and everything on it, and they welded it all back together, and we're going to dive back into that one a little bit. And okay, so that one, we found out the truck was deleted, and you returned all of the emissions equipment on it. Yes. And now it's flawless and it drives and there's absolutely never been an issue since. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, hold on a, here, Jer- a second here, Jeremy, because I have somebody who actually has quite a bit of experience on this topic, and I want to bring them on the phone so that they can talk to us a little bit more about it. Sounds great. Remote support expert, Sean Lynn, how the hell are you? Good. How are you, Paul? I'm doing good. Hey, I got Jeremy Garnett here with us. Uh, our super tech, and we're talking a little bit about a 2012 LML that was secretly deleted, a very, very hidden delete, uh, but it came to the shop, found out it was deleted, returned all of the emissions equipment back on it, and I said, pump the brakes. I know somebody who knows something about this. Can you tell us about your experience with returning a deleted truck to emissions equipped? Yeah. Um, I actually ran into the same issue uh, last year. Before I started here, my truck was deleted. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Chris Emke had to step out, so I'm going to wrap up the show myself. It was a pleasure having Nick Pregnitz on. Uh, and, of course, Jeremy Garnett. You guys can follow him on his Instagram, jgarnett00. Uh, make sure you go check that out. He posts stuff about being working in the shop all the time. He's got a really cool Hummer project right now. So I've been seeing some pictures float through on that. Big shout-out to all of our sponsors, Worley Custom Fab, Exergy Performance, XDP, and Duramax Tuner, or Calibrated Power. Uh, for today, this has been Paul Wilson, and thank you so much for listening. Paul, don't get me fucking started.